If you've got a Bible, you can start opening it up to Romans 12. Uh, we're going to be in the whole chapter today, so the words are not going to be on the screen. So if you've got one, uh, if you have an app that you're going to use, feel free to scroll there. There's a few Bibles in the back if you prefer the distracted, less distracted version where it doesn't pop notifications at you the whole time. I promise you paper Bibles will not do that to you. Promise. Very few things I can guarantee these days. One of those is your paper Bible will not notify you. There you go, that's my man. Before we jump into Romans 12, though, uh, I'm going to ask a question, and uh, it's a pretty low-key question. You're going to answer it with a few people around you, uh, and then you won't have to answer another question the whole time, I promise. Uh, but it's, it's a really important one, but I've got a rule. Before you, before you blurt out your answer, I do have to give you one rule. I know we usually do a lot of things freedom. This one's got a rule. So what is, and you're going to answer this to each other, what is your favorite top maybe one or two movies where the hero dies? Hold on, I have a rule. It can't be anything in the theater now. Because I'm not going to be that one time. I showed up at Missio once and they spoiled my life in my movie. So uh, it can't be in the theater right now. But your favorite movie, top one or two, is there one in the movie theater right now where somebody... I don't even know. Never mind. Don't answer that question. See? Just checking to make sure you paid attention. Uh, it can go back as long as you do. You can go into film history. Uh, the hero is allowed to resurrect, but you don't have to say Jesus just because we're here at a Sunday gathering. You don't have to be like, the Jesus movie. Uh, you're allowed to have other favorites. There's a lot greater films, though no greater story. That happened right now. You're welcome. All right, go ahead and turn to each other, though. I'm going to give you like maybe two, three minutes. Favorite movie, Where the Hero Dies. It can't be in the theater, so no spoiler alerts. Go. You're next. Uh, like many things in life, I'm probably going to regret this in the next few minutes. But what did you guys come up with? Throw a hand up, and then I'll... Hey, Jay, you had your hand up nicely. What was your answer? Gladiator. Moses. Uh, the of the, uh, the and Humpty Dumpty. Oh, poor Humpty Dumpty. Done. The champ. I'll nod my head. I was. I have Nick at night. Um, so, uh, Nate. Braveheart. Anything else back in that corner? Saving Private Ryan. Doesn't like military movies at all. Carry on. <laughs> Fair enough. Carry on. Kenzie. Hamilton. Hamilton. Mm. Anybody else want to throw one more out? Or does that unison have Hamilton win? All right, cool. There's lots of them. So here's my intro, and it includes a few of the movies you said. I don't care if it's Guardians of the Galaxy, James Bond, or Ron's Gone Wrong. There's something about movies where the hero dies and gives himself for others that stirs up in our heart, doesn't it? There's, there's something that immediately connects us to a storyline. When we recognize and realize that the hero is about to die, and in movies, because of the way they're framed, it's almost always 
for the sake of others. And it stirs up something deep within us. It reminds us, I think, on some level of the gospel, whether or not we realize it, because our hearts have been shaped to ache for one who would give himself for others because there was no other rescue. In fact, in Romans, as we get to that book, and that's why we had that little intro, um, not just for fun, though I'm sure it was, is because what we've seen in Romans, uh, if we read chapters 1 through 11, which we're not going to do right now because that would take a little bit more time than we have, but what we see is that God is unfolding a cosmic story where human beings had rebelled against him and his good creation. Uh, he had set all things good, right, and beautiful. Human beings chose to rebel for themselves and make themselves out to be gods. And then God started a long road of redemption where he was going to set things right. And Paul's told this story three times over when we get to Romans 12. In three different ways, he's told this story, that that story of Israel that looked forward one day that the hope that someone would come and rescue creation, that someone would come to do what the law could not do, that someone would come and fill up and reconcile and redeem and rescue creation, that that would happen, was filled up in the person and work of Jesus, the one we call the Christ, the Messiah, the rescuer. And that story pointed forward to that day when he would die on a cross in our place, as we often say, for our sins, but also for the sins of the world, to release creation from a curse. That baked right into the story the whole way through was this notion that the people of God are always meant to exist for the sake of others, but that hits a crescendo when we get to Jesus and we see his life-giving sacrifice and his future bringing resurrection. And then he sends the church out to announce and embody good news, Jesus reigns. Until the day will he will come to restore and make all things new like we read about at the end of the book of Revelation. And that's been the story that's been unfolding throughout time. That's been the story that Paul's been unfolding in the book of Romans. Uh, we've looked at it like this. We've said that we are formed by God. Uh, this is in the first week of January. We talked about this, that God is forming in us the likeness of Jesus, that if we are in Christ, the point isn't just that we raised our hands, said a prayer, and get to go to heaven one day when we die. In fact, the hope is so much bigger than that, that right now, as we sit, as we walk, as we live, as we work, as we play, as we go to school, that the Holy Spirit, if we're in Christ, is working in us to form in us the likeness of Jesus himself. There's a maturing, a growing up that takes place. Whether you're five or 105, as long as you draw breath, that process is still happening where we're being formed by God. And the invitation from that teaching was to make the pattern of our lives put us in the flow of God's grace where we can experience life with him together. Not that we work to make things happen because God's grace is free, but because we've received that grace, we are then compelled to obey in light of it. The reminder is that we can be transformed by a better Savior into a better story when we continue to see more of our lives shaped by Jesus and his kingdom realities.
if you're tracking in Romans, that would be the first two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Where it says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, We talked about how Paul said the right response to all the work that God has done is for us to offer up our lives as a sacrifice before him. And that takes place as we, our minds are transformed in line with who Jesus is and what he's doing, and we are able to come into the story that he's writing. That might seem like a lot. We took 30 minutes and unpacked it. You could track with it later. The next part, though, is that we don't just do that as isolated individuals. As we follow Jesus Uh, He never saves individuals, winds them up, and sends them out into the world. But God has always been calling together a people for his purpose. That as you come into the family of God, there's, there's a community of faith, sisters and brothers. God is our father. Jesus is the true and greater older brother that we're brought into, an ecclesia, a called out community. And so we do this together. In Romans 12, verses 3, Through eight, Paul gives a vision of what that looks like. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. I mean, that could be a whole sermon for a few weeks. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, So in Christ, though we are many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. You see what he's doing here. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Uh, What he's saying is that the shared life together of God's people is meant to be both for the good of the people in that community as they work together, but then also for the glory of God. That in the household of faith, there's different people with different roles and different responsibilities, but they work together as a body does in a very uh, understandable and relatable image, right? We all understand how bodies work. And in this room, we all understand how they don't work at times, right? Uh, Some of us have experienced that to different degrees, uh, whether it's we're getting sick or we stub our pinky toe. In both of those situations, you learn that if one part of the body isn't working right, everything gets kind of funky, right? Have you ever stubbed your little toe and all of a sudden you walk like you have a broken leg, right? Like if you hit that on the edge of the couch, anybody ever done that? And all of a sudden you start walking like your, your leg's broken, right? And yelling praises to Jesus at the same time, I'm sure. The imagery is that as we come together, we're formed by God, yes, in the likeness of Jesus, but that happens together. There's a beauty to that. And if we stop there, 
Uh, that's where a lot of spiritual formation or life in God actually ends up, is that people say, hey, remember, you're being formed in the likeness of God, uh, and there's a church, so get involved with one. Cool, great, have a good day. But what we've talked about is there's actually a third dimension to our shared life together as a church. If you're a follower of Jesus and not a part of this church, it's for you as well. That we exist not just for ourselves, but the people of God have always existed for the sake of others. That there's a dimension to being the people of God where we turn outward as a natural flow. Adam and Eve in the garden were meant to cultivate all the hidden potentials of God's creation so that all the image bearers would, as a diverse community made up of Jews and Gentiles, of poor and rich, of slave and free, of male and female, how do we do that? And that's why Paul spent 11 chapters saying this is the story of God. And then he turns now and says, have your minds transformed in light of that. Serve one another with your giftings and do it in full view of the world that watches with simple obedience, with things like being kind and being hospitable and not seeking revenge. And he's saying, if we do that, we display the kingdom of God in such a way that it's not just for church folk, but it's for the good of others. And I think as we come together, uh, there's often a question like, that's a great vision, but that takes a lot to get after with the entirety of our lives. Like that takes church community out of the little box that I might want it in. But what I would argue is that according to Jesus and according to Paul, that's a better, more full, more human way to live. That somehow when we give of of ourselves, we find out what it actually means to be human. But it's hard. You guys with me? You feel that? Uh, In the week before, between uh, Christmas and New Year's, I asked myself a question that I haven't asked uh, for a really, really long time. I'm not sure even what started it, but the question that came to me for about two hours of a day was, is this really even worth it? And just so you know, what I was talking about was Missio Mesa. Like, Like what we're doing as a church. Is it really worth it? It was like the enemy had stored up a ton of stories that he was just like on steady drip on me of areas where things had not worked out, where we try to live for the sake of others, where we'd come together, where people had sacrificed for one another only to have it let down. And I'm not kidding, for like two hours, this question was actually in my mind. And if you know me, it takes a lot for me to say that because I'm all for going forward. I'm all for seeing uh, things take place and vision and the gospel taking up root. And so that's a hard thing to admit, but it was absolutely real, pressing in for two hours, asking, man, is this really worth it? It's been three and a half years that we've been a church. I was looking back on different communities I've been a part in the past and, and watching how some of the disintegration, sin has kind of worked its way in or people have left and just that whole mess that comes with living in community together. And I had two answers come. One I know is helpful for you. Uh, The second one, maybe. Uh, The first one that came to me is that, yes, Jesus is worthy. So, yes, this is worth it. I don't have a whole message to preach on that other than to say that answer brought so much peace to me where it was like, all right, I can keep going now. Like, we're, we're good. Yes, Jesus is absolutely worthy. And it did something at a soul level that no uh, nifty quick fix ever would. 
It was like the Spirit was saying, like, do you remember that Jesus, this whole story pointed to, he is absolutely worthy. So anything I lay down is absolutely worth it because he is worthy. That answer I know is good news because he doesn't change yesterday, today, or tomorrow. He will be absolutely worthy then just like he is now, just like he has been for generations past who have looked at him in worship. And then the second answer was a little bit more surprising for me. It was that it was worth it for them. It was worth it for them. What do I mean by that? When uh, Rome was given, uh, the believers in Rome were given this letter. It was like, hey, would you guys live this way for the sake of others? Uh, and how did they do? Well, actually, in their lifetime, we have a historical account of what it looked like when the Romans uh, lived as followers of Jesus in the middle of Rome. And this is what was written about them. Uh, They marry Christians just like everyone else. They beget or have children, yet they do not cast off their offspring. It was a pretty common practice to have kids and then not care for them. Just set them out on the mountainside if you didn't like them. If they were the wrong gender, if they came with maybe a disability or disfigurement, you just kind of leave them out for the wolves to get. And it was, that's what the gods did. And they're like, these Christians, they have kids, but they don't leave the, the little ones out in the fields. That's different. In fact, they go out to them and they bring them in. That's very different. Uh, They share their board with each other, but not their marriage bed. Big difference. It's true that they are in the flesh, but they don't live according to the flesh. They busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, but their own lives, they go far beyond what the law even requires. They love all men, and by all, all men are persecuted. Remember what Paul had said, uh, when you get persecuted, bless people. What's coming out in Rome as they look at this, that they're watching and saying, hey, they're getting persecuted, but they're still blessing people. I don't get it. They're showing hospitality. They're giving their board, but they're living with sexual integrity. They're not sharing their marriage bed. This is different than how other people approach life. He goes on, they're unknown, and yet they are still condemned. They are put to death, and yet they are brought to life. They are poor, and yet they make many rich. They are completely destitute, and yet they enjoy complete abundance. They are dishonored, and their very dishonor, they are still glorified. They are defamed, and yet they are vindicated. And he goes on to paint a picture of these Christians in Rome. This was their reputation, was them being faithful to this call that Paul had put out to them to follow in the way of Jesus, which is beautiful, isn't it? And so was it worth it? Yes, it was worth it. Look at the city that was transformed, the Roman Empire that was transformed. We stand here today because Christians were faithful back in that day, which is beautiful. But my question was for today. Not just like Rome, that's neat, that's history, right? Like, what about today? Is it worth it? First answer, yes, because he's worthy. Look at this beautiful image of Jesus. And then secondly, yes, it was worth it for them. And there was almost like the spirit unfolded a Rolodex of what has taken place in the three and a half years that we have been together. And this isn't like a message where the point is now go try harder. It's reflect on what the spirit's done and take whatever the next faithful step is. Uh, For the sake of others, how have we done that? I'm going to grab this chair, and I want to read you a few stories. Sound good? How have we done this? Uh, Let this encourage you, challenge you, whatever it needs to do. As citizens of Mesa, uh, catch this. Four and a half years ago, there were many different businesses that exist, at least three to be clear, uh, that didn't exist in this city, but that have started in this city to serve people in this place for very theological reasons, namely, how do we be a blessing to the city where we're sent? 
Uh, there's a business that was started that other cities tried to recruit them out of there because they were trying to be way more attractive, but fought to stay in Mesa. Uh, Daniel prayed over Fritz's barbershop, which was then called Jerry's, uh, and then he strategically uh, pointed himself, the person who would go in and talk to Jerry and be his friend, so that when he came down to sell his business, he asked Daniel if he wanted to buy it, which is ridiculous. Uh, the well, we were just over there last night, we were worshiping with some of our MC leaders, and that's a place of healing and hope and counseling that didn't exist two years ago, well, maybe just two years ago, and more than a dream, but God imparted that as how do we live as faithful citizens in the city that we're sent? Uh, people from Missio have been invited into the table for the planning of the city and the downtown area, given a seat at the table of influence, uh, not because we've done anything fantastic, but because God's been gracious. So literally, the structures of the city and what takes place in the downtown area is shaped by people who love Jesus and love their neighbor and want to work that out actually in policy, which is outrageous. God's shown ridiculous favor. As citizens of Mesa, we've had members respond to the affordable housing crisis by buying units and then being hospitable and fair landlords. We've served thousands of meals through Paz de Cristo to the poor and vulnerable and marginalized people who are in our city. We've responded to the crisis of childcare in Mesa and around when birth parents are unable or unwilling to go through with housing their kids in safe environments, that there have been dozens of kids that have been housed. We've been able to be a conduit of blessing in the city of Mesa and beyond through Care Portal where we were blessed with resources to just go ahead and love people who are in vulnerable places. And the Rogers have kind of spearheaded that and done a fantastic job. Literally, other places gave us money so that we could serve people because we had that reputation. Like, that is unreal. And every single one of those stories is connected to real humans who needed a real encounter with Jesus, and we've been able to be there to be that with the moments we have. As a church, I get it, it's also the other one, but together in our shared life, uh, here this fam, we filter absolutely everything through the lens of not just how it benefits the people sitting in this room or in our Missio communities, but how it benefits others. I had an experience when I was in New Jersey where uh, we were uh, looking to get some money from a nonprofit that was disintegrating. And if you guys know anything about law, in order to, for a nonprofit, they have to zero out their funds and they have to give it to another like-minded organization. So if your organization serves people, it has to be another one that serves people and that sort of thing. And when we were there, the judge denied one of the requests to give like 50 grand to our church because they're like, no, 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 it's not the same as the first aid company that's dissolving. The first aid company existed for the benefit of their town. Churches only exist for the benefit of their members. And they weren't going to give them the money. And like that story sticks with me because it's like, may that never be our reputation that we exist just for our members. Just so you know, they're able to finagle it where that money still came to us because we just fed people with it. And so I think it's still going now that it's still feeding people because that's definitely for the community. But coming out here and starting Missio then, it was like, how do we bake that into everything that we do? Here's some fun things. Uh, we've been able to give local mission, so three and a half years. You can add these numbers up, and I don't want us to like be like, oh, cool, that's a lot of money. That's not the point of this. Every dollar, like I said, is connected to a story and a story of somebody who needed to be connected to Jesus, and we were able to be there for that. In local mission, money given in our local context, $45,133 and a half years, which some people might look at and be like, uh, why do we do that? Because we exist for the sake of others. 
And so before we ever invite others into that being generous, we want to do that together as a community. And that's not even counting just for us, right? That's not even counting. How many of you guys have had somebody else live with you in the time that you've been at Macia? Somebody else at your house or you provided shelter for them? Cool. Yep, you can just go. We're going to go. How many of you have shared a meal? Prepared a meal, your own work, your own money. Prepared a meal and shared it with somebody. Yep. How many of you have turned in receipts for that? None of you. Um, Can we do that? If you need to. If you need to. Uh, we, had, uh, we had people in town that were pastors from uh, other areas, and they came up and pulled us aside at one point, and they're like, hey, do you guys do membership? And we're like, oh, we do, but we don't do it very well. Like, it's out there, but we never come back to it. Like, it just takes a lot of work. Uh, but people who are involved stay involved, and so they're around in their family. So I don't have membership for my family, but you know who you are. It's kind of the same way we run. Um, they're like, is one of the requirements that somebody else has to live in your house? And I was like, What? And they're like, every person I've talked to has had somebody else living in their, like a stranger has lived in their house at some point when they're a part of this church. Is that one of like your requirements? I said, no, but that's pretty amazing. And then I started recounting who we were as a community. And yes, there were times when neighbors or strangers or friends or friends of friends needed a home and we had a room. And so we opened that up. And you don't realize how countercultural that is because that's part of our formation together as a community. But when you step out into a broader world, that is very, very foreign. And it screams of the grace of Jesus that welcomes others to the table and into a place of safety. So if we're formed by God together for the sake of others, what does that look like uh, going forward, heading out? And I just have a few words for us. One, Missio, continue in the light of Jesus and how he's welcomed you in. Continue to live with hospitality and kindness. Continue to live with hospitality and kindness. And I know some of that shifts and shakes with our current uh, cultural moment that we're in we're like but what about coronavirus and this isn't me saying like forget about that don't worry about that no I'm saying in light of that still find ways to be hospitable and to be kind let that mark the people of Missio Mesa that because Jesus was hospitable to us and is kind to us we then go and do that for the sake of others and it might not look like the same thing it used to but we don't have any reason to still not extend that towards others We can do that from the comfort of our house. How do we expend welcome to those who are different? Would we continue to do that? Hospitality, as Henry Nouwen says, isn't to change people, but to give space where change can take place. Uh, Hear this and make no mistake. Kindness will melt hearts in a world that's bent towards cynicism and suspicion. Kindness, just general kindness, stands out in a culture where people are nasty and scared and suspicious. Second thing to invite us into is to continue to give generously. Uh, This work isn't just us leveraging our Sunday attendance because the Eagles happen to lose today and I'm out of watching football now for the rest of the season. The reason that we gather together is because we genuinely want to be formed by God in the likeness of Jesus. We said Jesus wants us to do that together, and it's for the sake of others. And that's going to come as we realize how generous God has been to us, that we want to be generous towards others, that we want to continue to be able to give to others as they have needs. That money that we talked about, that we've given, have done everything from providing surgeries for newborns to burying people 
from providing meals to providing homes, to providing cars, to providing safe places for a night, to providing means for rehab. It's provided counseling for your leaders when they get drained uh, because of the work of shepherding us and saying, hey, healing and heart health matters. Like we're able to give to support them and their health so they can continue leading. The invitation is for us to continue to give generously as Paul called the Romans so that we can continue to live generously in our shared lives together. And then the last thing, uh, Paul says it in here. Uh, He's in the line, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. And then he says, be faithful in prayer. I'm gonna paraphrase that. Missio Mesa, would we be people who pray like crazy? Believing that it takes the spirit of God himself to form us into who we're meant to be, to form a community that is as diverse as this into a family and then send us out into the streets for the sake of others in a way that we don't get weary and quit. When we ask the question, is this worth it, that we continually come back to yes, because he's worthy, and then we get to see new creation fruit popping up as well, which brings some joy. Uh, but even without that piece of seeing those stories, he's absolutely still worthy. So would we be people who pray like crazy, uh, pray like our church depends on it, because it does. Uh, pray like our city needs it, because it does. We started off with some movies, uh, but here's the reality. This is not a movie this is our lives, right? This is the, the short blip that we get between two dates on a gravestone somewhere to invest our lives in something worthwhile, being loved by Jesus all the way. And our invitation tonight is to say, hey, what does it look like for me to continue to follow that path of being formed by God together for the sake of others? I'm gonna give us, I'm gonna pray and then give us just a few moments uh, with a prayer on the screen and then a few questions. It'll be silent um, so we can reflect. You guys just heard a whole chapter of the Bible, a lot of stories. There's some stuff that the Spirit might be stirring up for you and we wanna give him space before we come to the table. A space to continue the work that he's begun in us. Uh, would you pray with me? And then we'll just have a few moments of silence. God, we are so grateful that you love us, that you've called us to yourselves, uh, that you are making together a community out what was not a community, of helping us experience grace in our own hearts and then extending that to others. In these next few moments, I pray that your spirit would speak. A Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, would you remind my sisters and brothers of what they need to be reminded of, the goodness of your grace, the hope of the gospel, the reality that our lives are not meant to be spent on ourselves. You do what you need to do. But we open ourselves to that. Would you speak, Lord? Your servants are listening. 